Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. When it comes to Mother's Day, Father's Day messages, uh, I cringe a little bit. Um, I'm a little bit of a rebel in a good way, in a very good way, because it's hard for me to come before you and just preach an amazing message about all the great qualities of motherhood and why we need moms and hand clap for the super moms. But the reality is, is when I look over so many different faces, many of you I know, many of you I don't know, but I'm not so inexperienced to not believe or think that there um, are many issues in the room. And the truth be told that many of you may not have all those affectionate feelings that you would like to have for your mother. Or maybe your mother's not here anymore. Or maybe you're a mom in here who lost your child. Or maybe you're a mom in here who has a child upstate somewhere who hardly answers the phone when you call them. Like there's so many different needs in the room. So Mother's Day is a little bit of a hard day. And of course with Father's Day, you know, my dad was murdered, as many of you know, when I was just nine years old. So these days and kind of these holidays uh, test me a little bit. But I felt, I felt led to go in this direction that I believe is going to bless you no matter if you have a daughter or a son who's not answering the phone, who's out of state, or whether you're a completely functional household with, with mom and dad. You have a great relationship with your mom or you have a great relationship with your kids. I truly believe that this message is going to touch you. Are you guys ready for it? Okay, when I think about, first of all, when I think about uh, Mother's Day or um, when I think about God, really, many of us, I've come, I came out from underneath a very, I love the ministry, but I was taught um, to, you know, obey the Lord. If I were to walk out of bounds, he would strip his blessings from me. And there is a, a massive amount of truth in that. But just that word God it gives the connotation of masculinity. Like almighty God kind of says it all, right? It says he's strong, he's mighty, like none can compare to, to his strength. And one of the reasons that I probably stayed away from God so long is because I didn't understand, you know, God's, um, how he deals with us sometimes harshly in our sins in order to get our attention, not because he, it's not because he doesn't love us. Does that make sense? Oh, I know none of you have had to discipline your kids before, but you kind of get that. Like they have to have some grace, but then they need fivefold ministry sometimes. You know, you get it? Fivefold ministry? I thought that was funny. But God is not just almighty. He's not just the judge and many people under the sound of my voice who've had poor representations of family members, meaning representing God, we, we, we look at God that way. We look at he's judgmental. Many people don't come to church who may be watching this, who want to sit at home and watch church because, you know, maybe the church was judgmental. Some people really feel that God is just a disciplinary. He's not very gracious. But, but I, love, I love when God goes to Moses, there's this burning bush. He's on the backside of the desert. He's running from God. He's a prodigal son. And 
God gives them a charge and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be the deliverer of Israel. And God could have named himself a whole lot of things. And God, the first thing that Moses does, he says, okay, I'll do this, but who do I say sent me? And God doesn't say, I'm almighty God. He doesn't say, I'm the judge and I'm the jury. He doesn't say, I'm the disciplinary. He doesn't say, I'm the guy who's keeping all of your records of wrongs. I seen that you didn't go to church last Sunday. He's not that guy. He's not bookkeeping about your tithes and your offerings, whether you want to believe that or not. If you ain't tithing, don't expect his, anyway, that's a whole nother message. But he's not keeping all of these records, waiting for you on his toes to see if he can strip his blessings from you once you walk out of bounds. He's none of those things. He says to Moses, tell them that I am sent you. I love that name. Because God was so smart that he didn't, want to give, he didn't want to give Moses one name because he knows our limited thinking that if we were to have been given one name, we would have boxed God in. In other words, you're just this. But he said, I am. I am is a big, is a big word. In other words, if you ask me anything about my, you know, my job description, who I am, if I were to say something like I am, that pretty much covers all bases. I mean, you can't go to God and him not be that by him describing himself as I am. In other words, if you're financially unstable and in need this morning, you can go to the great I am because we know in that I am, it covers the fact that he's your provider. If you're sick in your body, you don't want to just go to him and say, I know you're my provider. You'll deliver me. He's more than just the provider because he's a healer. I am means he's also a healer. And all throughout the Bible... God gives certain names about himself. Like if you're in this place this morning and you're lacking peace because of some dysfunction that's going on between you and a daughter or you and a son or lack thereof or you're going through a loss, you have no peace, you can go to the great I am because he is the prince of peace this morning. He's everything that you need him to be. I'll read a few of these names, a few of the names of God who, who don't sum his nature up because there are far too many names, but it will give a, give a depiction of some of his natures. His natures. Say his natures. I want you to talk back to me this morning if you can. Jehovah means Lord. In other words, he's Lord of all. Say Lord of all. He is Jehovah Shammah meaning the Lord is there. In other words, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's not like people. When you call Sherry and she don't answer the phone because she's busy sometimes, God neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's there. Say he's there. He's Jehovah Jireh, meaning he's your provider. He's Jehovah Shabbat, meaning the Lord of hosts. He's Jehovah Rapha, meaning he's the Lord who heals you. He's Jehovah Nisi, meaning the Lord my victory or the Lord my banner. In other words, if he's your I am, whatever you feel like you're losing at in life this morning, he is there to be your victory and your banner and to see to it that you get over the finish line and win. Because he's our greatest encourager, which would be another one of God's names. Jehovah Mekadesh, meaning the Lord who sanctifies. If you are living an impure life this morning, don't worry. God is committed to your purity this morning. Say, he's committed. Yeah, he's committed. El Elyon, meaning the most high God. Jehovah Shalom, meaning the Lord of 
my peace, Adonai, the Lord and Master, Jehovah Titzkanu, meaning the Lord, my righteousness, Eliom, meaning everlasting God, Elohim, meaning God, all kinds of different names. I love one of my favorite names, and I didn't get this name until I was about 10 years into my relationship with Jesus. It took a long time because of the lack of the Father. I, it was a very hard thing for me to call him what my pastor, Guy Ionello, would call him. I would see him praying, and I would overhear him praying to God, and he would call him, he would call him Abba. Abba, a term of endearment. I choked because it's, it's a very... Um, it's, that, it's, a, it's a very intimate name because, you know, when I, when I call my brother, I don't just call him bro, I call him bub. It's a different, it's a term of endearment. You don't call everybody that, you know. You don't call, you know, every person who's a male uh, Abba. God fits this bill really good because it's, it, 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 it shows a part of his nature that's not so masculine, my kids understand this because this is the same hand that will caress their hair and pat their back or their diaper to put them off to sleep when they wore them and rub their back and rock them to sleep is the same hand that will give them discipline if they step out of line. But this term, Abba, depicts a very gentle side of God's nature that I mean, I, many of the body of Christ are in real need of uh, this morning. And, but there's one name that I wanted to give you guys that I feel is applicable to today's message and what I believe that God wants to say and wants to use this morning. And it doesn't display this masculine nature nor just a gentle side of his nature. But this name of God says it all. And, it, and it's the Rose of Sharon. And as a matter of fact, as I began to search the scriptures, I started running across many different scriptures that begin to describe and reveal a side of God's nature that many of us are not aware of. And it's his mothering nature. It's his mothering nature. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 10 through 11, this might shock you. It may be up on the screen, I'm not sure. Uh, verse 10 through 11, it says, and he, meaning God, found him in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about and he instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. We all know that scripture, right? Or the apple of his eye part of it, at least. As an eagle stirs up his nest. Come on, say it loud. Okay, well, in the King James Version, the depiction or the phraseology that is used is her. Where's my King James Version? In the King James Version, it says her, not its, because a mother is the one who cares for the eaglets inside. He's referring to himself. He's, he's referring to himself as a, a mothering eagle who stirs up her nest and fluttereth over. Watch how many times it says her. Fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, and taketh them and bear them up on her wings. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem. So if you didn't believe that it wasn't in the New Testament, we just quoted Deuteronomy, which is the Old Testament. We head north into the New Testament, first gospel. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jesus is talking to his people who are wayward, they're astray, they're far from him. And here's what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to 
her. Come on, everybody say her. Come on, I'm trying to have fun with this. I need your engagement. Everybody say her. Yeah. He's speaking of himself who stones those who are sent to her. How, how often I wanted to gather children as a, now he's referring to himself, who, who gathers her children as a what? A hen gathers her chicks. He's referring to himself as a hen, meaning something, someone that is nurturing in nature, who gathers her like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. I'm no zoologist, but I understand hens to be female. Is, is that right? So they gather. I was kind of being funny. I do know this. And I, and I love that depiction. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Because God is patient. He's not like your husband. He's not like your wife. He's not like your friend, Janet. He's not like your friends that you've met in school. He's very patient. Because unlike people, God will spend as much time sitting on you and protecting you and nourishing you until you hatch and become all that he's called you to be. Because it's his mothering nature. This is why I love Rick and Cheryl is because we're most ministers, high profile ministers. You know, I mess up twice and they turn their, you know, they turn their back or I call them and they're too busy. But Rick was like that mothering heart of God to me that I never had. And he just sat there and waited and polished. I mean, you see in his disposition and Cheryl's disposition. It, honestly, if you look around this church this morning, I can almost 100% guarantee you that this wouldn't be existent, inexistent if it weren't for Rick's patience and that mothering hen uh, heart disposition that God had given him for me. Amen? Yeah, many of you know that. But, but God is like that in his nature. He has a mothering side of him. In Hosea, we'll make a U-turn and go back to the Old Testament, and then we're going to have some fun. Hosea chapter 13, verse 8, God is speaking of himself once again, and he says, I will meet them. He's talking about those who would attack Jerusalem, those who would uh, you know, kill people in Jerusalem or you know, cause wars or try to bring them back into captivity. God is speaking to the enemies of Jerusalem or Israel. Say Israel. Watch this. He says, I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. That's cool, right, Kim? Deprived of her cubs. I will, listen how emphatic he is because you, want to, if you, you can make a dad mad. They got a whole lot more patience. You don't want to make mama mad. Like if you say something wrong to her kids or the teacher, she's fine. And she's right, getting her nails done, hair done, laughing with the ladies. But then she gets a phone call from her kid and said, Mom, my you know, classmates told me I was, you know, they made fun of my glasses. Or the teacher says something condescending. And all of a sudden you see mom go from nice hair, dress, to fake nails off, hoop earrings off. And she's coming after you like Hosea chapter 13, verse 8. I will meet them like a bear deprived of her cubs. And I will tear open their rib cage. And I will devour them like a lion. Today, today I want to talk to you about God's mothering nature, his mothering nature. There are times and seasons 
of my life that I've gone through that I needed him as a father with an iron fist to get me knocked off playing games and go get into my destiny and to walk into my calling. But there are certain times and seasons in our lives when we don't need the iron fist of God. We don't need um, this this arm of strength. There are seasons we need that. I think there's a time and a place for that. But there are times and seasons, particularly with people who battle with insecurity like myself. I've battled with that all of my life. There are times we need the mothering nature of God to lead us with cords of love. We all know him as God the Father. Say God the Father. But my question to you is, do you know him as a nurturing mother, like a hen who gathers their young and is patient with you and is gentle with you, no matter how long the season, no matter how far you run from him, no matter how much you've rebelled, no matter how much you sinned? Do you know him as a mothering nurturer who loves you to life? I want you to ask yourself that, this question this morning. So I want to talk about a few attributes that God displays in this mothering nature. Are you ready for it? Number one, very simple, yet profound, and for many of us, very distant from our hearts and our own reality. Number one, he's caring. I know I preach really hard. I preach revival. I, you know, I get up here, preach fiery messages. I just feel like today is uh, just a little bit different of an angle that I believe will minister to your hearts. But he's caring. He cares. You know, some people get tired of hearing your business when you tell them three and four times. And then you have to kind of like go through the cycle of your, you know, your directory and call somebody else because so-and-so got tired of hearing all your stuff over and over again. You know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you do it. You're like, they don't want to hear that. I've already complained about my finance to this person. Let's go on to John or, you know, Sherry or whoever. Well, God, God, God loves and cares so much that as long as he's having dialogue with you, that's what God is after. God doesn't get weary or tired. His ear doesn't grow cold eventually like, like some people do, like your friends do, because he cares. He cares, and look, he listens not just to hear your business. He, he cares because he just he cares about hearing from you. Because God's after one thing mainly out of humanity, and that's relationship with them. I love what Psalms 27 verse 10 says. It says, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will care for me. He cares. He cares deeply. He cares deeply about your situations. He cares deeply about you getting over your finish line. He cares deeply for your children. He cares deeply about establishing a generational blessing in your life. Now listen, my mom, my, my parents, see, I didn't really have my dad when I, even when I was young, even before he passed. But our earthly parents love us with a dare, very deep affection that is hard to describe with human language. It's hard to describe. I get a text from my mom literally every day, every morning, same time, six something in the morning. I love you. I'm thinking about you. You know, she'll either get a call or a text for me every single day. There's no fail. It's like you would think she backslid if she didn't get the text to me. You know, and I get two the next day. Like she makes up, like, like y'all should with your tithes and offering. No, I'm just totally kidding. That was a joke, total joke. He cares. But God's love is something so much different altogether. It's divine love. It's, it's something that will not ever go to the grave. It's something that will never grow tired. It doesn't grow weary. 
and his love, it abounds. And there are times in our lives when we feel like that God doesn't care because he seems silent in our life and it comes off as if he doesn't care what we're going through. And if you're not careful, you can begin to think that he doesn't care about your situation. But can I tell you this morning, because of his nature, because he cares so much, he cares deeper than your best friend or your closest friend or even your mother or your father does. You know, there was a very dark season that I was going through and two very important men of God to me. One was a pastor, one was a minister, and, and I didn't do anything in particular, nothing in particular. And I believe that now in retrospect, I could see God's hand in it because I relied a little bit too much on man. And God will do that. If you begin to put man in the place of God, God will see to it that that person, that man or that woman will get removed because he wants to show you that he's your all-sufficiency and he wants preeminence. He wants first place in your life. But they left me. They turned their, they turned their back on me, to, to say the least. Didn't say anything bad at me, just bad about me. They just pretty much cut me off. Any, anybody ever been cut off before? And I remember, I kept asking the Lord, why would they do that? These are your representatives. These are your representatives. It was like there was a brook there at one point in the season of my life, and then the brook dried up. Why would, they, why would they do that? Simultaneously, both of them. And you know, God stayed silent about this for six months. I wanted to know the why. You guys never want to know why, right? And you know what I felt the Holy Spirit say to me? It was, I wasn't even asking for it at this point, but I just felt the nudge in my heart. I felt the Lord. It wasn't audible. It was very quick, and he hit my heart, and he said, you know, son, it bothers me too. You know, sometimes God is silent about something because he feels the same way you do about the situation. He just doesn't want you to get exacerbated even more. I know it's heavy. It's heavy. He won't say anything because you're like, why did they do that? And he's sitting there thinking he's not answering you, and he's like, God, if I, you know, I don't know. They're human. That's why. They're frail. And here's the answer. They're not me. Because I'm not man. Because where people betray you, God will never betray you. Where people will leave you, they'll say they're there one minute and the next minute they're not. They tell you they're going to show up one minute and then they don't show up. God's not like that. Why? Because he cares and he cares deeply. Hebrews chapter four, is this okay? Hebrews chapter four, verse 15 through 16. I love this, I love this uh, scripture because it says, we do not have a high priest. Who's the high priest? Come on, it's capital. Who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points was tempted yet as we are, yet he was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Have you ever wondered why in the Old Testament God seemed like totally different than the New Testament? You ever wondered that? Do you think God evolves? God doesn't change. I, the Lord, do not change. Say, God doesn't change. But do you understand what I'm saying? It looked like his nature changed. You ever wondered that? I mean, if you sinned in the Old Testament, Moses, God's going to God kill you. You know, if, 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 if you walked out of bounds, you disobeyed him, I mean, back in the Old Testament, it was fire, brimstone, God. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? And then now you got on the, whole, on the other side and people are taking Jesus' messages and preaching greasy grace now. 
you know? Like it went from one side of him, you know, destroying humanity. Come on, Noah. Come on, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, come on. All throughout the Bible, it seemed like in the Old Testament, God was totally different. And then we get to Jesus and he talks about gathering people like a hen gathers their chicks. And he's, you know, wants to be called Abba and all these terms of endearment, seemingly motherly-like nature. It's not that God evolved, but God is spirit. See, say he's spirit. Yeah, he had never had a body before. He created a body, but he never dwelt in a body. You want me to tell you why he cares? Because before Jesus came, God, which is spirit, he's spirit, say he's spirit, dealt with human beings more harshly because he didn't experience yet what it was like to be in a body. But when Jesus came to the earth, he got to experience some temptation. He was in all points. Come on, Bible theologians in the place. Come on. He was in all points tempted, yet as we are, yet without sin. Now he says, come boldly to the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy. Why do we obtain mercy? Because now Jesus knows what it's like to have feel rejected. He knows what it was like. He said, all points tempted. I'm not saying that Jesus lusted because he didn't, but it says he was tempted in all points. Every type of temptation. Temptations of wealth. When the devil put him on an exceedingly high mountain and the devil showed him all the kingdoms of, their, of this world and their glory and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, right? Does everybody remember that? Matthew chapter four. Jesus resisted it. So now we have a high priest, meaning Jesus, say Jesus who can sympathize and care more about our personal needs and have more patience towards us because he now knows what it was like to have a body and feel tempted and feel rejected and feel broken and feel like everybody in the world turned their backs on him. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? This is why God allows you to stay in the situation that you're in long and don't deal with you harshly. This is why he lets you act up a little longer than he would have in the Old Testament. He would have sent a boat a long time ago. He would have sent the rain. Come on. He would have sent fire and brimstone. He would have sent fire to the earth. Come on. But God has more patience and extends more grace to us because now he understands your nature to a closer degree. It's not that he didn't need to learn something, but he experienced it. I would say it like that. Does everybody hear what I'm saying? He understands. Number two, I love this part. And I did not lack this growing up. I lacked a lot of things. We lacked money. We lacked, I never threw a ball with my dad. I, I, don't, never, I never heard good job, son. Never got any of that, but I got a lot of nurturing. God is a nurturing God. He nurtures. Say he nurtures. Hosea chapter 11, verse three through four, it says, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with cords of love and with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. And I stopped and I fed them, stooped and fed them. You know what that word nurture means? It means to take care of, encourage the growth or development of. He's committed to that. Some of you in here are just waiting on the Lord and just sitting and waiting. You're like, when's my destiny going to come forth? When, when is that calling going to start? 
You feel like you're in a waiting room, some of you. But do you know what God is doing in this season of your life? He's mothering you. He's sitting and waiting as a good hen would and allowing you to firmament, allow you to develop, allow you to grow in that incubator until he gets ready. He's nurturing you. He's nurturing you. Does anybody know the pain of waiting? Oh, oh you, you don't know what it's like to wait? Don't worry, you will. You know what God says? It's kind of like this in the kingdom. Hurry up and wait. He nur- he's a nurturer. Say he's a nurturer. And God takes personal responsibility of nourishing, or excuse me, nurturing you in the kingdom. He takes his time. He's in no rush if you haven't found that out yet. Think about this. We think about our pain when we're waiting and when we're going through things. I want everybody's attention right now. I want you to hear this. This, is, this, this impacted me so deeply last night when I read this. May I have my phone? Can I have my phone? And pull up my photos if you can. I want you to, I want you to think about this. Everything that you've gone through, everything that you have suffered, the divorce, the rejection, the betrayal, the backbiting, the reject, all of the stuff that you've gone through in your personal life. God is using that to develop you. Amen. Do you know that frustration that we feel towards God when we're going through that and we ask the three letter word that he never answers, which is why? Do you hear what I'm saying? Say why. Why? You're not going to get an answer. We want, we want to know, we want to, we want to know the whys, but God is more concerned about developing his character in you than he is about getting the job done or getting you to whatever there is. And I've explained that to you guys sometimes, but have you ever thought about this? This is so good, James. This, this hit me last night. Think about what it costs God to deal with us in our situation. I'm going to read this to you. Now, there's other pastors down the road, but I want to read this to you. I never usually stand up here and read that. It seems laborious, but I want, I want this to hit you for some of you because many of us, the reason why we're, why we're not there to the next level yet is because we're not ready and God is nurturing us because he's a mother and all mamas know is she will not put that boy or that girl on the court or on the field until he or she is. Christ is the personal, excuse me, he's the person gathering the grapes of our lives, having to reach between our branches to obtain them and risk getting pricked and bruised. That's so good by our thorns that we use to protect ourselves. Simultaneously, he is the person who treads the grapes in the press, getting his feet scarred in the process, looking at Christ. We should see that he is making wine out of us and his own bruised places because he is in the crushing vats that the wine of the grapes and the blood of his feet are mixed. He's paying a personal cost for our transformation. 
You might grasp a small understanding of your own pain in moments of crushing. Have you ever stopped to think about and appreciate what it costs God to see you through the process? The protection that's required to keep you safe while it's happening. And the provision you need in order to keep growing and evolving. Parents understand the overwhelming sacrifice it costs to successfully develop a child in a, into a healthy, mature adult. You know, when I look at my kids, I remember, you know, I made Imara. Or, what's that? Oh, that is a quote by uh, Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes. It doesn't matter if you don't uh, care for his ministry or not. That was good. I don't care who you are. Come on, somebody say that was good. I start thinking about our own personal development that we've had to, you know that how many I hate you mom, dads, we've, you know, heard, do you know how many, do you know how many I don't want to go to work or I don't want to go to school, but there's this personal and you can't say what they're saying to you because you love them and you're committed to the process. But in the process of you developing the fruit in their life, come on, you get scratched, you get cut, because why? Every good parent understands this, that I will nurture my child at any cost. I will protect them at any cost. I'm committed to their development at any cost. And this is how God is in our life. And this is a mothering attribute to God. He adds protection while you're sitting there cursing at him because he's not doing what you want him to do when he wants you to do it. But he's committed to the process because he's a nurturing mother at heart. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. I, have in my, I have in my office every single time, almost without exception, almost without exception, I look at this photo my aunt Diane got me. I love my aunts. My mom has seven sisters. There was no boys. God bless you. Mom, I don't know how you, that's why we can't get a word in when we hang around you guys. It's all women, seven of them, amazing aunts. I love them. They're all like my favorite. Well, she bought me an, a nice photo. It's about two feet tall by a foot wide. And I hang it to where it's the first thing I see when I walk in the office. And it's one of the first things I look at before I preach anytime. And when I go to bow to pray, let's say before it's coming before service where I'm standing, I'm praying, I always look at it as a constant reminder of my relationship with God. And what it is, is it's Jesus laughing, holding a hand of a, about a nine-year-old or eight-year-old boy walking through the grain fields. And he's just laughing and the little boy's just listening to Jesus talk to him. And this is God's true heart for humanity. He's not, he's, not, he's not allowing you to experience bad because you're bad. He's not allowing you to go through, he's not being tough on you by throwing just tough situations at you. He's doing what any good, motherly hearted, nurturing father would do is allow you to be processed so that you're ready for what he's going to do. He wants you to be made ready. Say, I want to be ready. Amen. Thirdly, I'm going to be quick. You can stand to your feet. That time, I don't like looking at that timer this morning because I'm not even halfway there. But I don't want y'all standing in lines at the, uh, you know. Well, I'll be honest. I don't want to stand in those lines. We're going to beat the Baptists. We're not supposed to talk about denominations in here. I'm going to be really quick when I say this, but I really want your attention very closely for the next five minutes or so. 
I was going to preach a message in the next few weeks about the working of the Holy Spirit, the working of the Holy Spirit. And this was one of the third natures of God as it relates to his mothering nature is he comforts. He comforts. Well, he comforts. Say he comforts. Isaiah 66 verse 13 says, as the one whom his mother comforts. Look at that. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You know, there will be seasons in your lives where you and I will need not the iron fist, not the stern voice, not that get it done, boy, or, you know, stand up on your own two feet. We won't need that, but we will need his comforting hand. You know, years ago, me and my wife suffered a blow a really big blow when I first started uh, what was almost full-time ministry. I took an associate pastorate six years ago. Six years ago is when I very first started pastoring. Not as a minister, but as a pastor. And I remember my wife getting pregnant and her experiencing pains. And uh, I had to rush her to the hospital only to find out that we had lost our really anticipated uh, baby. And I didn't need a sermon. I didn't need, you know, Isaiah 55, although that's all great, but I had all of that already in me. I, I, needed, I needed, not that I needed something outside of Scripture, but I just needed the Lord to comfort me. I was, I was so deep in pain that I could hardly open the Bible, which I still did, but I was, I was in such pain. And there are times and seasons we will go through when we will need that nurturing hand of God to wrap around us and comfort us. Comfort us when we're waiting. Comfort us when we're hurting. Comfort us when we don't have all the answers. Because I promise you, if you're a human being, if you're a man, woman, boy, girl, doesn't matter, there will be times and seasons you go through something that you will not be able to explain. And God may never choose to explain it to you. But you know one thing he promises? To comfort you. That's his promise. God doesn't promise explanations. He promises comfort. He promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Psalms 34 verse 18, it says, The Lord is near to those who are of a broken heart and saves such as has a contrite spirit. These are promises of God. This world that we live in is full of disappointments. And we have a God that will comfort us and he'll keep us through our biggest losses. He'll encourage us through our biggest losses. The problem is, is we run to people, places, and things to comfort us when we should be running to God who's our ultimate sustainer. We run to these things, these people seeking this comfort, but God is the only true comforter. It's explained in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, say the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Number four, I'll drop these really quick. Number four, he inspires. Moms are the greatest inspirers. I believe that's what he's wanting to do this morning with people, inspire them. When I look over the body of Christ, as faithful as I see some of your faces in here, I see week after week, 
people coming in here holding on to the promises of God, you know, as if it were just one string left. And many of you need encouragement. Many of you need inspiration. And I believe if you could hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, you would hear him saying, you're closer than you think. You're closer than you think. Keep going. Keep pressing. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Because he's an inspirer. God is your biggest cheerleader. All you have to do is go to a football game. You don't have to know if moms are there if you're in the front row. You hear them. It's a quiet lady who, you know, didn't seem like she talked much as soon as her son hit a touchdown or he gets tackled, you know. She about pops your eardrum by, you know, screaming out, encouraging him. God is an encourager. Second Thessalonians. The Passions Translation, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 through 17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ and our Father God who loved us in his wonderful grace, he gave us eternal comfort and a beautiful hope that cannot fail. Watch this. May he encourage your hearts and inspire you with the strength to always do and to speak what is good and beautiful in his eyes. You know, as I close regarding this part of God that's motherly and inspirational where he wants to encourage you, I think about this scene with Peter. When Peter, Jesus is coming to Peter. Excuse me, Jesus is, yes, Jesus is coming to Peter. Peter's in the boat. I can picture the scene. You know, Jesus didn't discourage him. He didn't say, don't you dare try what I'm trying right now. You can't walk on water. As arrogant, as prideful as Peter was, he did not try to discourage Peter from doing the impossible. He cheered him on. Your God is an encourager. Your God wants to inspire you. He didn't say, who do you think you are trying to walk on water? He never reminded Peter of his past. He didn't remind him of what he did yesterday. He didn't remind him of the website he visited last night. He didn't remind her of the gossip conversation that happened before church regarding your friend. He didn't throw out all these things. He said, come, because Jesus is your greatest encourager. He didn't say you haven't made the, all the greatest decisions in your life. He didn't say any of that. He said this in the scripture, but I want you to forget those things which are behind and press towards the mark of my high calling in Christ Jesus. Lastly, and I'm really closing. He is reliable. He's reliable. You can count on him. You can count on him. Where people have failed you, you can count on him. Where they didn't show up for you, you can count on him. Because of his mother, his committed motherly nature goes beyond human comprehension. 
Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Just ask the children of Israel who thought they were going to die and ended up at the Red Sea and God parted those waters. Why? Because he's reliable to come through at the very last minute. Just ask Lazarus who was in the grave wrapped in grave clothes for four days. Jesus shows up on the scene and 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 calls him forth and the boy comes out wrapped in grave clothes and he says, loose him and let him go. And it was a divine resurrection in that moment. Why? Because even when God seems like like he's late, he still shows up. Why? Because he's reliable. Ask pay Peter when he couldn't pay his bill and to get into the, the synagogue. Jesus tells him to go fishing. The first fish he catches has a piece of gold or silver in its mouth to pay the bill. Why? Because God is reliable. Just ask Abraham. Promise, son. 99 years old. Can you imagine what he felt when he was 30? Maybe it's time, Lord. 35, God still doesn't show up. He's 50, still doesn't show up. 60, still didn't show up. But in God's perfect timing, he showed up and he showed himself strong. Why? He's reliable. And I just bless each and every one of you with the reality of what I just ministered. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would, on this Mother's Day, give us your people and give these your people a deep revelation in the deepest, most unique way. We always talk about your, your fathering heart, Lord, but there is a side of you that you offer that is motherly in nature. It's not gender driven, but it's in your nature to love us, to to inspire us, to show us that you're reliable, to show us that we can count on you. That part of you that comforts us, that part of us, that part of you that nurtures us, and that part of you that cares so deeply for us. Lord, let it sink in the depths of every person in this room under the sound of my voice, Lord. I pray that you would water that seed, cause it to grow, cause it to bear much fruit for your glory this Mother's Day, I pray. I pray that out of this message, Lord, relationships would bloom and flourish like the rose of Sharon. May your people be drawn closer to your heart, closer to your motherly heart. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. And may you do it, Father, not to affect just their lives, but generations. That's what I pray. It's less about your family and more about the way that your heart connects with God. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's less about what's happening generationally in your family because once you connect with his heart, everything begins to shift and break. When your heart is awakened to his attributes, to his nature, everything begins to shift. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This renews the mind. This renews the heart. This renews the right spirit within you when these realities begin to hit your heart. And I just pray that over each and every one of you. 
for changed minds, transformed lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Go ahead, just receive that right now. Just hold your hands out in front of you if you can. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.